Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. This is your host, Alejandro Rojas. How are you all doing? It's uh, it's good to see you all again. It's been a couple weeks. I actually started a new venture, a new job where I'm busy during the day. Uh, it's kind of a nine to five type of thing. And uh, I've just been super, super swamped. So that's why I couldn't do a show last week. And uh, that's why this is at a different time. And we're going to have to be going at a different time as well. So, uh, and I'll bring that up in just a second, but let me introduce Martin Willis, of course, my good buddy. Hello, hello. hello, Martin. Hello. How are you? you? So I heard we're moving to Thursday evening. Well, I was just going to break that news, but uh, (laughs) you're right. Thursday evening. So because I can't do the show during the day, I'm going to start doing Thursday evenings, probably at this time. And um, it'll be great. So, uh, and, and that's just because I'm busy during the day. It, it will take up more of my time. So I don't know that I'll be doing as many interviews. Of course, I haven't been in the last few weeks because I've been busy with this stuff. But uh, I will when I can, especially when I can get exciting guests like William Shatner or Abby Loeb. So I did get Dr. Abby Loeb. And this is kind of a funny thing because I was contacted early on about the book. Uh, I think, yeah, very early on. And I was told, would you like a copy of the book? And would you like to interview Abby Loeb? I said, heck yeah. I did get a copy of the book, but I they couldn't schedule this interview for some reason. I don't know what was happening. And of course, I told you, Martin, and you're like, oh, that's great. I wish I could get uh, an interview with him too. I think Sorry. I even sent you the email of the publicist. Um, but uh, uh yeah, that didn't work out. Luckily, you were able to, on your own, go secure an interview. So, uh, which is kind of funny that you ended up getting your interview before me. So, my interview with Dr. Abby Loeb is going to be tomorrow at 11 a.m. And you just did your interview with him. How did it go? Uh, I'm not sure favorites in a long time. Uh oh. Uh oh. Is it me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Now I can. Is is it something? You can. All right. Um, is my side. Mm. So uh, it looks like Martin's having some internet problems. So we'll try to get him back in just a minute. But uh, yeah, Abby Loeb. So um, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I haven't had a chance to watch Martin's interview yet. But uh, he looks like he still froze. Um, but I heard it was really awesome. I heard really good things. Hopefully, I'll have a chance to uh, check that out. So, um, and of course, Martin, unfortunately, he's he's like in a um, off working. And so he's not where he normally would be. And it looks like that's probably why he's having his internet problems right now. So hopefully, he'll get those resolved 
and he'll be able to pop back in. But now that you can't see Martin, you can see my UFO in the background. And for those who are watching on video who can see, it's also kind of funny. Martin, what you didn't see, had the same like similar outfit as me. How weird is that? We didn't coordinate. Got the hat, the sweater. Kind of funny. Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, news of the week. So Martin and I were kind of talking about this for a second. Um, and uh, about this uh, thing that everybody's asking him about. And some people are asking me too. And it's not like, to be honest, I have a whole lot of information on this. But if you all do, please do share. Um, and that is that this, you know, American Airlines encounter thing. Now, the first people I believe to report it were the, um, you know, some of our big, I'm a big fan of these guys at this point, is the war drive. Of course, we're talking about, uh, or I'm sorry, the war zone all the time because they're always breaking really cool stories. Um, in this case, uh, it, it's, you know, the war zone on the drive. They broke this story about an airline encounter, uh, encountering an unidentified flying object uh, over New Mexico. So uh, this was flight 2292. Um, this occurred, uh, let's see, I think it was in January. Fred, I don't have the date. I'll find that for you. But this was a flight that was going from um, Cincinnati to Phoenix. And while they were over New Mexico, they called in, uh, hey, saying, you know, is there anything in this area? And they were like, no, there shouldn't be anything in the area. And this is from the control tower um, or from the audio from the airplane. Uh, the, the pilot said, we just had something go right over the top of us. Uh, I hate to say this, it looked like a long cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast that went right over the top of us. Really weird. Um, another weird thing is that at the, the Department of Defense said there was no testing going on in the area. Of course, New Mexico, just like a lot of the Southwest, California, Colorado, Nevada have a lot of testing, military testing that goes on in the area. But they said there was no military testing. Uh, they were referred to the FBI, the media, and the FBI said that uh, they're aware of it, uh, but that and they're looking into it. But they that's about all. But how weird is that? Why the FBI? My guess on why the FBI was contacted is because of uh, the uh, drones. So drones are kind of a domestic issue because most of the time it's Americans that are flying these drones where they shouldn't be. And uh, the FBI certainly investigates those sort of issues. So I'm guessing that could be the reason why the FBI is involved. Uh, what they know or what they've been able to gather, who knows? And it is a really odd story. Um, oh, someone, Boogie Down, has a uh, good comment. Boogie on down. Love your name. Uh, so it's a weird story. Why would they... You know, why would they fly something, a missile like this, uh, in the area, that, um, test something like that? 
you know, near uh, commercial airlines. It's highly unlikely. So this is actually a really good story. Uh, nobody's figured it out as far as I know. Um, really, really weird. There was a question somebody asked. Oh, by the way, Anonymous Rex, thank you so much for the little tip there. Um, but Boogie on Down just mentioned, should there be satellite image of this, especially since they would have good coordinates and near white sands? Not necessarily, but maybe. So in other words, um, satellites capture photos. Uh, they capture video. But there's not like satellites everywhere all the time. But what is interesting is that a lot of these satellites are private. Oh, there's Martin. Should we? Martin, give me a thumbs up when you think you're ready to go. Oh, he's, he's got the thumbs up. Hey. Hey. I moved to another location. Sorry about that. No problem. So we are talking about um, the... American Airlines thing, and someone had meant, talked about shouldn't there be satellite imagery of this, and so I'm talking about satellite imagery and how there's there are satellites capturing photos and videos, and we had a great lecture on this from uh, a gentleman who wanted to remain anonymous, his name, he didn't really want it shared, so it's a video we didn't share, actually, at the SCU, uh, this presentation, just because he works in a professional capacity in the satellite industry, and he doesn't want the association with UFOs. Um, but what was really interesting about this lecture was he talked about how there are satellites up there capturing video and, and pictures. And a lot of this information is being stored. However, you know, uh, these are private organizations. And he was proposing that if the funds could be gathered, it would be great to work with some of these companies to be able to do exactly what you're suggesting, Boogie on Down, is to be able to say, hey, an event happened at this time at these coordinates. Are there any satellites capturing anything at that time? Let's go pay them because you would have to pay them to uh, get to view that information to see if there's something there but it would probably be really expensive. It would need to be coordinated with these corporations. And it's something that's certainly doable and should be done. It's the type of thing the UAP task force should be doing. Um, so it's possible, but um, you know, unlikely that we can even get access or anybody's gonna go take a look, but it's a good thought boogie on down. Martin, are you frozen again? No, you can't hear me? Oh, I can, good. Yeah, uh, well, it makes you wonder, you, know, you can see I have to lean back on this Sorry about that. No problem. Um, it makes you wonder, though, how many things could be observed that a private, are you saying these are private, uh, privately run satellites? For satellites, yeah. So it just makes you wonder how many, how much data they might actually have that they. Well, that's the other thing is that the data is huge. You know, it takes a ton of data. And of course, the more that they compress, are able to compress the, the the video, the more they're able to save. But that's the other thing is that they don't save the information for long. Oh. Currently, because it is so expensive to store these wow. videos. But there's more companies that are doing more and more of this sort of work where they're just kind of filming everything. And then uh, they have, a, that's their product. So a company can say, hey, you know, I own a company. Maybe I own a company. Um, and my field got, I, 
you know, flooded. Maybe I'm a farming company and my fields got flooded. I want to know why. Then they can pay this company to review the video of the area and see what might have happened. Um, it would have to be something big that you could see from up there. But of course, they can get pretty small. So, so yeah, that is, a, and you know, that was the whole point of this lecture is that this is what these satellite companies are starting to do. So certainly this could be big for UAP research where people can, you know, go look at the times of these events and figure out what might have happened. I wonder, you know, a lot of times you hear when people have a UFO sighting, they say like it, like it flashes in and it flashes away and, and I wonder what I'm getting at is I wonder if they uh, have a technology that can make them get from a point further away than a satellite can detect to a point, you know, right, right down into the atmosphere. I mean, you know, no one's ever spotted a UFO uh, with a heat shield burn, you know, coming through the atmosphere. Um, so, I mean, I just wonder about that. All we that we know of, I guess. Yeah, that we know of. Yeah. Um, because certain, I guess, you know, when we see space junk or, or meteorites, it could be something else. But you're right. It's not really something that uh, nobody suspects or there hasn't been anybody, except for maybe you could argue, um, what is it, Kecksburg? I mean, that was seen yeah. kind of like a, a with heat, you know, then it moved. So that's right. That would be the only one I can think of, though. That yeah, that's a good point. Any sort of reentry, kind of uh, burn type of situation. Mm. You're right. Mm. So yeah, so it's 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 interesting. Um, but as far as I know, and have you heard this? There is no um, explanation for that event yet. Are we talking about the? You're still talking Airlines? about the New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I know, and I saw that Robert Powell has tried a FOIA to see if he can get uh, radar information. But if the FBI right. is investigating, it probably it's probably going to uh, stall that for quite a while. Yeah. For anyone to get public access. Um, Lou is asking, so they're frictionless. Maybe we don't know. Well, we don't know what they are at all. So who knows? Uh, certainly, you know, uh, last night we did a panel with the SCU, uh, over the Nimitz report that they had put together. And, um, you know, that was brought up, you know, the, the velocity that these objects moved at was so extreme that it would, it would create uh heat it would create uh sonic boom um but it didn't so why and you know these are the mysteries of of what's going on here we just don't know right that's the thing you never hear of a sonic boom never have once has anyone ever said that they saw this thing speed off at you know an exceptional speed and they heard a sonic boom i've never remember hearing that yeah, I mean, I might have, but it's. I think you're, it's very rare um, because, yeah, like you said, in you know the most famous cases, uh, yeah. you know, the most well documented ones, uh, they when these things take off, including the Nimitz, they don't make a sonic boom, which is doesn't make any sense. Um, do you mind taking that? me out for just a minute? I'm going to try to adjust myself here. Okay, <laughs> that sounds funny.
All right. So let's look at some of the other news going on uh, that uh, we've reviewed for the. It's gone on for the week. Uh, and this is an interesting one. So I don't know, maybe some of you are aware of this and let me know if you are. And we might've even talked about this a little bit. And that, that's the changes going on with To The Stars. Uh, you know, Lou Elizondo has left, um, Chris Mellon has left, and so is Steve um, Justice. And this was actually an article that was posted by John Greenwald of the Black Vault, uh, where it apparently, um, Steve Justice is now the vice president of engineering for Virgin Galactic. So he's moved on and gone back into the industry that he was already in, which was kind of aerospace. But he also, of course, was in defense. He used to work for Lockheed Martin, uh, in particular Skunk Works, uh, the organization that set up Area 51 and all of the stealth. And uh, now he's moved on and he's working for Virgin Galactic. Um, and Dio is saying internal strife. I wouldn't say that, um, necessarily. They definitely all get along and, and I think wish the best for each other. And there's certain, there has not been anything negative said about one another, but I think that, uh, what, you know, Lou Elizondo has said is essentially, you know, what the projects that have been doing well, are the projects that uh, are the entertainment ones. And uh, otherwise, they haven't really been uh, the money <laughs> projects bringing in funds uh, at defense-wise just hasn't happened like they kind of had hoped. So uh, the entertainment's still going well, and the other guys have just moved on to other projects. Of course, Chris Mellon was an advisor. Chris Mellon um, certainly doesn't need a, a job with To The Stars. But, um, and Steve Justice, as we've seen, has moved on. So that's just kind of interesting that uh, Steve Justice is now with Virgin Galactic. Uh, did you happen to see this article before, Martin? Oh, no. Oh, so you weren't aware of this one either? No, no. It, nice. That's as soon as I heard you say it, news to me. Cool. I felt it was might have been old news and that people might have already seen it. Wow. I think Chris Mellon you know, was his, his part was he was just trying to get the word out there more than anything else. Yeah. I think that, you know, like that article I wrote about his major plan, he executed a plan. It happened. And now this is what he's focused on. He is focused on the UAP task force and he's focused on lobbying them to make sure that this is a robust report that they put out. And I get the feeling that um, he is uh, right in the mix of things, that he is having a influence and um, he is fighting this fight, you know, almost like a the, the one lobbyist uh, that the people interested in investigating the true unidentified objects, he's like the one lobbyist in there fighting to to make sure this happens. And I, I've heard some sort of skeptical remarks that he doesn't feel like they, they're taking it seriously enough, but also I've heard uh, 
he is having an effect. And I think that there'll probably be some interesting news coming forward regarding all of this, hopefully sooner rather than later, um, that we'll finally hear kind of how things are shaking up. I mean, what we've heard is that there is this UAP task force. We heard that they're putting together these documents. We've also heard from the DOD that, you know, what the U.S. UAP task force does is classified. The results are classified. They, they don't have intentions of sharing much with us, but we don't really know what it is they do do. And when they did talk about what they do, they, they mentioned a lot about unmanned aerial systems, drones, which certainly are issues. But of course, it's a UAP task force. It's all about unidentified. And they try to not really go there. Of course, the whole spokespeople with the DOD have not really wanted to go there this whole time. Um, and they've given some pretty poor information as time has gone on uh, regarding all of this. So they're obviously not enthusiastic. Um, but according to Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon, there are insiders who are enthusiastic about the topic. Um, I, I, I say that because we don't, you know, I'd say it in a skeptical manner. It's just that there might be some on the inside who are interested, but how many and how motivated mm. are they to back, you know, these efforts? We just don't have any of that information. We have no idea. We can make assumptions or guesses regarding some of the clues and the hints that some of these guys have told us. But I would say the reason I, I'm cautious about it is because we haven't seen any real movement from anybody in the inside. And the DOD has been certainly not enthusiastic about all of this at all. The only people who have been have been Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, uh, and the whole Bigelow group. But that group that was contracted you know, to work on that Pentagon project, they've been around for a long time. And I mean, they've had an effect here and there, um, but certainly not something consistent. So is it the same old guys who are interested that have always been interested that have had uh, limited effect or are there more? Um, and when I say people who have had a kind of a, a limited effect on all of this certainly does not include Lou Elizondo or Chris Mellon because they've had major effect, but of course, um, neither of them are true insiders. They don't work for the government anymore. So, so too bad. We'll it's too bad. Harry Reid was retired. He'd be perfect, uh, with the position, the strong position he had, uh, and, and his, uh, his thoughts about this topic, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But I mean, it does also show, um, with this news of, of, Steve Justice moving over to Virgin Galactic. Uh, just, I mean, the group that Tom DeLonge put together for Two of the Stars is just extremely impressive. And it just shows how impressive and how, um, you know, valuable Steve Justice was that he's snatched up by Virgin Galactic now. Yeah. Who is really ramping up their projects. They're finally, you know, of course, they had the crash of uh, one of their spacecraft and um people had passed the pilots and they're finally recovered from that and they now they even though for the last maybe 15 years uh richard branson or they've been saying they're on the cusp of almost launching uh their their civilian kind of space flights they really are finally getting close 
Right, right. On on a side note, do you know at this time, are are Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon associated with each other, or they're just, you know, I mean, they're, they're both I mean, doing not their in separate any thing. Capacity. Right. I don't think they're in any official capacity, uh, but I think they are still working together, though. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Somebody says, you guys look like twinsies sitting on a couch together. That's funny. We do. Oh, my it's gosh. Weird. I just noticed. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, there was a question. and uh, To the stars misled or true info. I'm not sure what that means. Were they misled? I I think it's impossible to say that as a group um, because they're all very different individuals who worked on very different jobs, who got very different information, and thusly, uh, which makes sense, they all have very different perspectives and very different opinions. So misled, were they misled? You would have to talk about what individual as a whole, were they misled? Doubtful. Um, I think that I think that they're in the same boat as all of us. That uh, some of them might mislead themselves, and I I say that to be honest with Tom in mind because he certainly has some really fringe, wild ideas that I don't think are uh, have any you know substantiated uh, information to back up. But at the same time, you know, I've been kind of hopeful, but kind of uh, skeptical of all the things Tom has said in the last few years. And look what Tom did. He did some amazing stuff. And a lot of the things that seemed too wild to be true that he said came true, such as that he was working with all these government insiders and everything. Um, I think the results of what he, ha uh, he had put together are extraordinary. And for me, wonderful and along the lines of what I thought might happen. Um, but, well, to be honest, what my dreams would be that might happen, I should put. Um, but I, I don't think they're certainly not necessarily what Tom originally thought maybe would happen. Um, you know, I think he thought he would be helping to release a, a disclosure more along the lines of what a lot of UFO people think about. Um, but, uh, you know, as we've heard from people like Chris Mellon, they just didn't run across the information that many people allege to be true in the UFO field. The whole UFO mythology, just nothing there. Um, what was the other side of the question? Misled or true info? I guess, again, the true info part, it'd be who you're talking to. I think oh, the things that Luis Elizondo has said for the most part uh, have all born to be true. Um, maybe not all, but the vast majority. So all the, especially, you know, when the DOD said the things he said weren't true, uh, they later had to admit they were true. Um, otherwise, I don't know of, of any like misinformation that came out of the group. Although certainly Tom DeLong has shared ideas and even shared UFO videos or photos at we know are not really UFOs. They've been debunked or resolved in the past. So maybe along those lines. So I don't know. As usual, it's all really more complicated and nuanced than most people uh, 
give it credit for or discuss when they're talking about these things. So we we often generalize. Does the government know this? Is the government doing this? Is two of the stars doing this? Does two of the stars know that? Well, two of the stars is made up of individuals. The government is made up of tons of different agencies. Um, so, and they all think differently and do different things. So, you know, there's just, that's what gets hard with all of this. There's lots of nuance and, and the details. And that's, I think why you guys come to, to Martin and I to, to have guests on or to talk about some of these nuances, uh, to hopefully clarify some of this stuff. So let's move on. So that was interesting. I wanted to share a couple other things here. Oh, this is kind of a sad one. You ready for a sad one, Martin? No. Mm, You're already getting sad. I can hear it. Mm -hmm. So two things I wanted to share here. Um, First of all, just Nathan Hendrickson. He is a guy, and I know I always talk junk about um, uh, UFO Twitter, but, you know, at the same time, there are some people out there that I think are great. Oops, sorry. Um... And one of those guys is Nathan Hendrickson. Do you remember him? Did you really know him? Mm-mm. Doesn't ring a well, bell. You're, no. Yeah, you're not on Twitter like I am a ton. Well, I'm not these days, but usually. Let me bring this up. So here's Nathan right here. Um, so he used to be on a lot. And you can see this is a memorial, his last tweet, because unfortunately, Nathan passed away. He was diagnosed with cancer this summer, and it was really sad because he he told everybody in UFO Twitter, hey, guys, I'm not going to be able to participate as much because I've I've been having chemo and stuff. And then just a few days, a couple days before he passed, he said, chemo's not working. They're moving me into hospice. And then, unfortunately, uh, he passed. And uh, there's a GoFundMe. I think it's still open. But uh, I just wanted to mention him. He was He's an awesome guy. And I think this is really cool, too. Zignal. I should share this differently. I should share this in here. So let me go find this for you. Zignal. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. So this will be a plug for these patches and T-shirts that he's made. Uh, you've probably seen some of the imagery. Really cool artist. But I thought this was really neat. Um, gives me a chance to kind of show his work. Here it is. But he actually sent his family huh. um, some of his material. And this jacket with these patches, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, see how Zignal makes these patches. that uh, These Tic Tac patches. Um, that have the USS Nimitz, USS Princeton to, to kind of document the Tic Tac um, event. Super cool patches and stickers wow. and stuff. Uh, definitely go check those out. I'd highly recommend you you pick up the stuff. Really cool, dude. Um, but yeah, he uh, sent the family some of uh, his stuff and that's really cool. In fact, let's go check out the website. Uh, oh, he doesn't list it. He needs to list his website. He's in the UK, but uh, he would make these things. Here it is. And he's like, well, and he'd show them to me. And I'm like, sell them. He's like, well, I'm just an artist. I'm like, well, let me sell them on open minds then. He's like, well, okay, I'll put up a store, (laughs) which I'm (laughs) glad he did. 
Because, uh, yeah, check out these things. These are all, are these all like embroidery, like stitched? Yeah. Well, these are stickers. This is embroidery. Here's another ah. sticker. Huh. And they're in pounds because he's in the uh, UK. The dog keeps coming over here in the corner. My sister's dog and crying. Put the dog up in your lap. I know. It's a lap dog. dog. Yeah. Well, the poor little guy has, he's old. So my dog, Pumpkin, is old. And so is Carrie's dog, Bio. And uh, so I, I get worried because he'll try to hop off. And if he does, he'll fall and he could hurt himself. So. So very cool there. Cool stuff. Way to go, Zignal. You are awesome. All right. And let's see. Flying propane tank. That's hilarious. It does look like flying propane tank. Yeah. Tank. Yeah. Good one, dude. So that is uh, the Zignal. I wanted to mention that. Um, and let's see. What else do I have here? Oh, I feel really bad about this. <laughs> well, I feel really good about this. In a way, I feel bad that I haven't done anything with it yet. The big phone home. Oh, I was going to ask you if we could talk about that. Wow. I saw Chris Mellon endorse that today. Exactly. You're so so funny. We're always on the same page. I was just about to say that. That's exactly right. It's really cool. Chris Mellon tweeted this, too. Um, and uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Luis, of the Unidentified Celebrity Review, who's backing all this up, is right here with in us. In chat. Uh, in chat. Yeah, he said, in fact, he said that he ordered some of those stickers. He's just, he's very excited we're talking about this. But yeah, check out this cool article. Congratulations um luis i'm sure you were absolutely thrilled when chris mellon uh tweeted your your information here but here it is the big phone home coming soon luis i want to really get on board i've got some time now now that my job's i'm past the first couple weeks and uh i can help out because uh this is really great so the phone home this is uh, the big deal. We want to help Chris Mellon out, right? We want to help him uh, influence our politicians and our military to actually take the topic seriously and that we want a robust report. Someone had mentioned here that Luis Elizondo had said he doesn't think they've got enough time to make a very good report. Maybe that's true. Chris wow. Mellon actually addressed this like today. Um, maybe I it wasn't it. today, but he did say that, um, oh, here's what he said. So he was commenting on an article about, um, UFOs and he was talking about, uh, professors UFO sighting, I guess, um, but he says, U.S. Air Force encounters and reports have been going on for years at NORAD and elsewhere. The UAP report requested by the Senate should help us clarify the situation. That's pretty cool. That's a really positive comment from Chris Mellon. So hopefully he does mm. feel that, um, you know, there is going to be some valuable information in this report. But, you know, if you're a politician, 
if you're Marco Rubio or or Warren Warner, you stuck your neck out to say that you know you were briefed on UAP and you think that there's something real to the situation. Um, but you they really don't have much of an idea as to whether um uh oh Luis somebody got an error on uh somebody's going to that website I think but it's really hard for them to tell to gauge the public's interest in this topic and that's why we need to tell them what our interest is in this topic if nobody calls and says hey I saw you talking about UAP and I saw you're doing a report I want to support that. And I really think you guys need to share information. If nobody says that, then for a politician, they're going to say, well, this isn't an issue my constituency really cares too much about. So I don't have to do much except for maybe say, hey, the military's got this covered. We're good. Um, if you don't feel that way, then you got to let them know. They're not going to, you know, take it seriously or, or, or act on it if we don't tell them we want them to act on it. So Luis has done an awesome job in putting up this uh, website and he's starting to gather some information to create this cool thing called the Big Phone Home. And I think it's a great idea. So uh, we'll have to talk more about it. Oh, he said he made a video about it. So share the link if you if you don't mind here, Luis. Um, so really cool. Oh, he made a video just about Chris Mellon sharing his, his oh. stuff. Uh -huh. So that's really cool. Uh, another thing, someone asked a question, is there a Congress going to be happening yet? Uh, UFO Congress? I don't know. Karen's working on that. She's not sure yet. So that's too bad. Yep. It Theo just here depends says, Thanks, on, Louise, yeah. for keeping the conversation going. What was that? I'm saying it just depends. You know, it's it's you can be optimistic about the vaccine. Maybe things will turn around. I just don't know. September, hopefully. Oh, with the conference. I know. Yeah. It's really hard to say. So uh, Karen has to work with the hotel. You know, the hotels have their own procedures and rules. And uh, there's just so much in the air. And then it also comes down to if the hotel doesn't know and we don't have enough answers soon, are we going to have time to advertise and to get, you know, people to come to the conference? Wow. So yeah, there's a lot involved. Yeah, there's so much involved. I feel Sorry, luckily Karen's got a great attitude about it right now, um, but it certainly caused her a lot of stress and, and mm -hmm. anxiety over the last couple of years. It's been pretty rough that way, but uh, she's working on it literally right now. She's working on it, trying to figure it out. So we'll let you know, Sonia, and uh, thank you. And it's always a wonderful thing you, seeing you there, Sonia. She's always happy with a, a big smile. And thanks for being on the show. Um, the other thing uh, I would like to ask is for people, if you have questions, I know um, somebody, Lou, I think earlier, a different Lou, said you had some questions. Do shoot those into the chat and I'll answer those if I can. But, um, oh, before you froze, I was asking you about how, I don't remember if it was before our little restarter after where I started talking about Abby Loeb, where finally I've gotten my interview with Dr. Abby Loeb. I've been working on scheduling this for months. They're the ones who approached me and said they, that I can do this. And in the meantime, Martin was able on his own to get an interview before, but I was uh, so scared to tell you. Yeah. Uh, my interview is tomorrow at 11 AM um, on this channel. 
Why were you scared to tell me? I'm just kidding because I knew you I you wanted to get him on and you were frustrated and um, I emailed him and he said sure. I know. <laughs> yeah. And then so. not only that, you haven't even read the book. I've read the book. I did read it. I read oh, it. Oh, you did. I did. You got read it? it. Yes, you I think? read it. I love it. We haven't it. talked since then, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I loved and I told him this when I interviewed him <clears throat> that I love the way he oh, I got explained it. things. Yeah just on a level where you could understand them so easily. That's the same oh, yeah, image I used on my t-shirt. Yeah. Isn't that a, uh, it's a really cool book. It's a great book. Yeah. This is like an image on the internet, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, someone made a t-shirt for me with that image and then I saw I've it on used this. I've that like, image yeah. before too. Yeah. yeah. Or a very I, similar one, if not the same one. I thought it was like all mine at first. Yeah. But anyway, you know, he kind of explains the whole situation of looking at things through the eyes of a child or, you know, the, uh, a young person who's inquisitive. And, and that's how he looks at this whole thing. And it's kind of a shame that a lot of his colleagues and, you know, fellows, uh, I just think he's ridiculous for, for taking this look. And he's just doing everything using science. That's all he's really doing. And he says, yeah. he you know, what I thought was interesting about the book is that, you know, I've got my UFO books here so I can kind of try to remember some of them, but they, his book reminded me parts of it re reminded me of, books that have been around for a few decades written by scientists about UFOs like Heineck. Um, mm. It really reminded me of Heineck's books because a lot of the arguments he was making Heineck and, and Peter Sturrock and some of these other astronomers who have been into this topic have been making those same arguments. And what's kind of interesting is I think that Dr. Abby Loeb thinks that some of those, ideas he, i don't know that he realizes that that you know he there is kind of a history of people like him um sure it's ufos which is a little different than what he's doing and there is a difference between ufos and and aliens although really uh that object that he's writing about that came through omuamua is a ufo i mean uh, at least according to him, it's it's not well. Really, it is overall because we don't know for sure. Um, it's an odd thing, that's for sure. Yeah, I need to. There's uh, there's six different things that he talks about in his book that are all uh, very unusual. That that doesn't fit the normal comet or asteroid. And, uh, you know, the rotation, the aspect ratio, the light, um, I forget what they call the light, uh, reflectiveness, all that. Yeah. I mean, some of the points are stronger than others, but, um, uh, and, and we'll definitely be talking about that, but, um, but the idea is mostly what I was referring to were like the, the, the way that academia tackles this stuff. In fact, we talked about 
this kind of stuff with uh, Kevin Knuth last night uh, on the SCU and that uh, that panel that we had. Because uh, Kevin Knuth is kind of dealing with this right now. Uh, and we talked about Dr. Abby Loeb as well. Um, and it's just... Yeah, it's just he makes, you know, a lot of great points about how they should be more open-minded. It's not really scientific to be so close-minded that, you know, the whole job of science is to seek out and investigate anomalies. Um, yeah, that's right. And, uh, otherwise, it stands still. Yeah, you otherwise, know, you never move still. forward. But these are all the same arguments that, like, Heineck and others have been making for a long time. So I, I think wow. that's cool. I think that it's really cool because it's just another person making these comments who's in the modern times who has a, a large influence. Um, so what a Muamua was, who knows? But uh, yeah, so that ought to be lots of fun. But yeah, tell us some more. What did, were there certain takeaways that you had about him um, from your interview? Well, um, I think one of the important messages that he's trying to get out there is he's trying to, move this along so that younger people coming up in the field will not be afraid to investigate things like this. You know, that's very important to him. Mm -hmm. And um, also I was surprised that, uh, you know, uh, I had a feeling that he was going to have trouble talking about UFOs, but he didn't. He, he was able to talk about it and thinks that they should be looked at scientifically. He said, maybe we shouldn't dwell on the past. And maybe we should dwell, I mean, you know, look with updated equipment, equipment and technology at this time where there are hotspots and things are happening. So it was a really, really interesting. Yeah. I hope I can get him to watch our panel from last night because I think he would realize that there are a small group of people who feel similarly. And I think mm. he makes a great point because you can't do... That's what the SEU is trying to figure out. You can't do scientific uh, investigation without data. And when we're talking about cases from the past, we don't have a lot of data. Sometimes we have more than we realize. I think that if you watch David Marler's lecture or hear, or in, I don't know if you've interviewed him about this, but I have um, regarding the, uh, um, the Battle of L.A., that's an yeah. example where there was more information out there than anybody, I think, realized. And nobody realizes it to this day unless you've watched or heard David Marler's lecture, which is amazing. Um, but, you know, those kind of cases are far and few between. So even with SCU, a big part of the conversation right now is where do we get data? How do we get data? Um, one interesting conversation that came up lately was, you know, these people building... Uh, these devices, uh, and it was a conversation we had with the Skyhub guys trying to kind of talk about, talk this out and how we can gather some science. But putting devices around that, that have cameras really isn't science. It's, that's not data that scientists can use to confirm something as an unknown or not. You need more than video. Um, you need other telemetry. So that's something that they're working on right now. If you were to put a remote monitoring device or several of them out there, what is your minimum requirements in order to be able to gather, gather 
real data, usable data, that's going to be something that you can do something with. Um, and of course, the major goal that they're thinking of is what do you want to do with it? You want to prove that a, an event is a true anomalous event, that an object that you capture with these devices, um, you can prove it's something anomalous. How would you do that? You probably need at least three devices. They might need to be fairly far from each other. You're going to need other telemetry, like you need more than just visible uh, um, uh, visible light captured. Uh, you're going to need a bigger range. Um, I don't even know. <laughs> so this is a project we're working on. Uh, you know, what is it that we'll need to prove something like that? And you'll need a lot more than just cameras, which is what most people are doing. So that'll be cool. Uh, Dr. James McDonald. Uh, did he use data? I mean, some data. It's just there's limited data. That's the whole problem. Who's got the best data? Here's the analysis. I think I've brought this up before. Where are we going to get our data? We're going to get our data from either um, where we've traditionally got it from the public. Problem with the public is resources are really low. Uh, the equipment thusly that we use uh, can't be maintained or watched that often. It's less sophisticated. It, uh, it just doesn't meet the kind of requirements that you would need, like we talked about, to have data that's really useful. Even just anecdotal reporting, like let's say Cheryl Costa uh, has written a book and she works with that. But, you know, what good is that going to do? All you're going to know is when people report what they think is a UFO, knowing that 95% of those reports, in my opinion at least, are wrong are not something uh, anomalous. So what good, what can you really get from that except for kind of cultural kind of uh, things? When people report what and why, you might be able to figure some of those things out, but it's not reporting, you know, an actual anomalous thing. It's just reporting something they think might be anomalous. Huge difference because out of those things, a very small minority is going to be actual real. Um, the other, you know, uh, so it's the other places where we could get data are from academia or from the government. Academia thus far has not had any interest to gather data in this topic. It would be great if they were, because that would probably be where we would get the best data, because you would have scientists looking at it. They would be doing like what the SCU is doing, figuring out, okay, how much data and what kind of data do we need? that's really going to give us some some teeth to any argument we make um, regarding our discoveries. And then they would build devices that would be able to gather that data. That would be the best place. But thus far, they're just not interested in that. Dr. Avi Loeb is a demonstration. And his whole book is is exemplifying that, that, hey, we're not doing it. Maybe we should, but science doesn't want to do it. So what's the third area? Um, the third area would be the government, um, military. And that's really kind of the tough part because they've got the data. They've got a ton of data. They've got data from the types of systems, expensive, um, cutting edge, the very cutting edge technology. They've got the data and they're gathering that data, but they're not sharing. Um, will they share? I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical. We talked about this with Kevin um, Knuth, the, the professor, last night. And, you know, um, he 
said the same thing that really what UAP task force needs to do is start sharing data with science, start sharing data with scientists so we could start to learn what's going on together. Uh, but at least thus far, they're saying they don't want to. So it's going to be incumbent upon us, um, people at SEU or others to start to try to interact with them and say, Hey, we need this. You guys got to start working with the public. You, you know, we really need to start figuring this out together. So um, those are kind of the three arenas to tackle. So it's tough. It's a tough situation. Um, so, but at uh, least I think we're further along on the, the most fruitful two areas than we've ever been before. And luckily, I think uh, hopefully we can, as a public, doing citizen science, which becomes bigger and bigger. Natasa does a ton of citizen science at this point. Hopefully we can also become more sophisticated uh as a public too, to gather data. Well, let me ask you this. So say a private entity had all the right equipment and, mm. and actually captured the data that was, that would just conclude that it had to be, and I'm going to say extraterrestrial or unknown to our earth. Who would believe them? Who would believe, who would look at that and say, oh, wow, this is, you know, how could we, how could you convince the public if it was a private entity instead of like work, the military working? Well, I think that you could, uh, here's examples at uh, science, a lot of private entities, especially scientific entities work like science does, you know, where they share their data, their data has to be checked. So for instance, the vaccines. Those were all created by private industry. And then there are regulatory um, agencies uh, full of scientists, and including using academic ac and stuff like that, uh, that verify that, you know, these public entities share the data, then uh, they're able to verify that data. And that's how you, science works. So it would have to be like that. I think a public entity would need to share that data with, um, you know, in this case, because it's so novel, there isn't like a UAP group anywhere in academia. So they would first have to say, hey, we've got this evidence, who wants to look at it and have to get some buy-in there, which as we know from Abby Lobo's book and from others, that right there might be kind of a tough ask, you know, to say, um, because they might not be interested. They may be like, we don't want anything to do with UFOs. We don't care about what you're talking about. Otherwise, hopefully you can get somebody interested like NASA or, or maybe a, a university to say, okay, we'll verify this. And um, then they'll take a look at it and verify it or not. But the other aspect when it comes to a private organization is why would they do it? And would they even want to share that information? Most public or private organizations are they're about money their their number one job is making money for either themselves or for their their shareholders and so even with bigelow a lot of his impetus was to try to extract information from observing uh uap to be able to develop uh aircraft or technologies that didn't really work out uh however let's say it did let's say uh it could have been done in one of a couple of ways, either through observation or let's say they did, uh, they do have some sort of material that does show them 
a, a process we don't know how to do yet and they're able to figure out how to do it well as a private company you could say hey we learned this from aliens or you could just do business as usual not say anything just say it's proprietary we have a proprietary method to create this technology but we're not going to share with you how we did it because it's a corporate secret it's a trade secret that's most likely what they would do and that would be the wisest thing to do because then you own that process and you own that development and you you know you don't have to share that information with anybody and that's what's kind of hard when it comes to private organizations because let's say bigelow was able to develop some sort of technology would he want to say hey world check out what we were able to do because we figured it out from this piece of a ufo um then everybody could figure it out and he doesn't have that proprietary you know um method or or technology to be able to make a viable corporation and to utilize that technology and i think many people may even feel justified in that and and you know think of this yourself let's say you came across something like that and i wonder what you would do martin let's say you came across something like that you were like you know, you have a scientist buddy, or we take it to Kevin Knuth and he's like, you know what we could do? We could develop a process to create this really, to create that material and sell it to aerospace industries and make a bunch of money. Or we can hand it over to government. They'll do the same thing, but they'll make all the money. Hmm. What should we do? I could definitely see someone being justified and, and feeling justified and saying, well, we should keep it. We're going to be able to handle it better than the government. So yeah. again, it's mm -hmm. nuance. It's really hard. Right. Uh, with Bigelow, would their tech get classified? No. I mean, it depends. Theo asks this. Great question. Theo's got some great questions. Um, well, I mean... But I, I don't think that tech, again, when you're a private organization, again, this is why you wouldn't want to say, if you develop a new material, um, which happens get all the time, there are groundbreaking or, or cutting edge technologies that are created all the time. Um, it's not like, you know, people are going to say, how, how did you do that? Um, for the most part, you know, corporations, these are trade secrets. Um, so unless there was some kind of inkling of something strange going on, it's another reason why you just wouldn't want to share that. I mean, I think that Theo, you have a great point though, uh, because Bigelow is working with the government and because Bigelow was so, uh, open about what he was doing, maybe he would face more scrutiny than someone who is more secretive. And this is probably why it comes back to, and this is why corporations do it too. A lot of the times it's just best to be more secretive. It's a tough call. Well, also you got to look at it this way too. If something is developed that would be, could be used to, that would be so far technically advanced over our adversaries, that would have to be kept secret. In other words, well, we wouldn't want to get that out. Definitely get involved. For instance, yeah. in space, in aerospace, you know, you can't work with foreign governments um, on certain, on many projects. Uh, in fact, Bigelow, uh, this is one of the big things that he did for the aero, the uh, space uh, 
industry, private-based industry, is that he sued because he was like, look, you're saying that we can't have foreign nationals, um, you know, interact or see some technologies, uh, space technologies. But if you, but if that's the case, then I'm not going to be able to have, you know, foreigners be my guests at my space hotels. Um, so he kind of sued to say, you know, there's got to be a limit and we have to loosen up these things. And he actually mm. won. Um, and it was kind of a, one of the biggest things and probably, <laughs> I don't know, to be honest, if I think about it, it might be one of the largest effects that he's had in the industry. Um, so there was some news about that. Uh, so yeah, it's, you know, yeah, lawyers are all always have to get involved. And that's another great point that with all of this, you're going to need big lawyers too. So, yeah, for sure. So it's tough. And you know, what's interesting too, it is I would remind people is, you know, John Greenwald has a point when he says, you, when you look at the paperwork for what a tip, uh, or OSAP were the, the government program that Luis Elizondo was involved with to investigate UFOs or the precursor OSAP to investigate, um, more paranormal phenomena. When you look at those projects on paper, they have nothing to do with UAP or UFOs. Um, of course, we know they did because the people who started the program told us they did. Um, yeah, nothing against lawyers, really. Well, for the most part. <laughs> um, but that uh, Bigelow could maybe argue, no, this was my stuff. And I think this is weird because... This is another topic we haven't talked about on this show, which has come up lately, which is also kind of weird, is that the whole idea, did ATIP have anomalous material, alleged UAP material? What would you say, yes or no, Martin, given you know your knowledge of what has been said in the past in interviews with like Luis Elizondo, the famous Fox News interview where he said, you know, he thinks the government has UFO debris. Um, are you under the impression that ATIP did have and did investigate debris? I, I don't know if they actually had real debris. That's that's the thing. You know, maybe they did have something, but it's all alleged. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, I don't know. Well, this is what's interesting, you know, and John Greenwald's focused on this lately, too, uh, is that Bigelow in his interview with George Knapp said they did not. He said, right. When George said, you know, asked him about UFO debris, he said, the government never gave us any debris. Um, these, the New York times writing about us modifying buildings. Right. To get debris. We never did get debris. They so, modified the buildings, but never got the debris. And then, you know, um, Actually, John asked Leslie Kane about it. And Leslie said, well, I never said they got debris. I said they modified the buildings for debris. Our tax dollars at work. Well, but we don't know that either. Was it our tax dollars? There's so much that's vague there. Mm. Um, and I would argue that I totally disagree with Leslie. That totally, completely implies that they got material. The whole article was about that. Uh, or that hmm. that portion was about a tip. So it did kind of imply that. And I think Luis Elizondo even felt like he kind of, or 
was Luis Elizondo was quick to tell John, no, you've got that wrong. I never said that we got debris because that art. That but he did say comment it. was commented. I don't I don't know what I he was talking about. The interview with you, he said it or something. Was well, that with, with you? the interview with me, he said, uh, I said, does you said you think that the military has UFO debris? Do they have debris or do you think that or do you know that? Or I said, I think you were saying you th think that's the case, but you couldn't prove it. And he said, I'm not saying that. Which I hate that comment because prove it then. Don't give us this crap. It makes me mm. so frustrated with all these guys. And Bigelow, you can spout all you want, but prove it. You know, people have been talking, talking, talking for decades. Everybody can talk all day long. Let's all talk. That gets us nowhere. We've been talking for decades. Who talk gets us absolutely nowhere. Right now we need proof. Prove it. Otherwise, I'm not going to believe you. I'm sorry. I don't, you mm. know, prove it. Um, I don't think, I think it's irresponsible to make those kind of comments without proving it. I think it's really frustrating. And I always say that I always tell them, don't say it unless you can prove it. Um, mm -hmm. and so that's created a lot of confusion, I think. So, but the big takeaway here is I think we all were under the impression that ATIP or, you know, had UFO debris or had been looking into it. And that's not the case at all. Now, Bigelow has debris. Bigelow has the Linda Howe, Art Bell debris that's been arts, around for arts. a long time. Yeah. The art parts that, you know, some people, in fact, the majority of a lot of the science guys that are in this field argue that those were debunked. Others argue that they haven't. Of course, we've heard from people like Jacques Vallée and, and Gary Nolan. And this is where it gets weird, too. Because Jacques Vallée works with Bigelow and their group sometimes, but not all the time. So you have all these different groups that are sometimes working together and analyzing stuff together, sometimes not. So often these materials are owned by someone else or they're all kind of sharing and trying to analyze these different materials. And so it gets confused who owns what or where. Um, so... So I think that's a that's another big aspect of all of this. So my point being that, um, yeah, that Bigelow thing that Bigelow could say no, you know, uh, my investigation of this stuff, despite what the New York Times implies, had nothing to do with ATIP. So it's mine, uh, not the government's. That's what I, we're yeah. getting back at. All right. Uh, Derek has been listening and doing the dishes. Thank you, um, Renee. And someone else had some more questions. We're going to wrap up here. Mary Grace Kirby, thank you so much for being on. I saw some nice comments she made earlier. What if Bigelow found the debris by themselves, not from the government? Yeah, good point. That was essentially my point, Mary, is mm. that these all this debris that is allegedly out there that people keep referring to as now Elizondo and Bigelow have confirmed they weren't from the government. So as far as we know, the government does not have any material um, that is allegedly from a UFO. Uh, Luis Elizondo claims otherwise, but he has he's not given us a clue as to why he believes that or what makes him believe that at all. My guess is 
It could be he believes Eric Davis and the rumors that Eric Davis had. And again, in my interview, Eric Davis told me he believes that, uh, you know, that Roswell was real and maybe a couple other crashes that they took those craft. They couldn't make heads or tails of them. So they put them away in warehouses where they've sat kind of like uh, Indiana Jones since the 80s because the programs that were trying to figure out what they were ended in the 80s and that they haven't been touched since and that there's some kind of process to revisit periodically. Uh, however, of course, when I asked him how he knew that, he said uh, essentially it was rumors. It was second, third-hand information from other contractors. So is that true or not? Who knows? But that could be what uh, Louise is referring to. And it could be that somehow they've confirmed it or not. I don't know. Mary says, sometimes more is said by what they don't say than what they do say. The problem is you can't build a case on what they don't say. Uh, because when they don't say it, then all we've got is assumptions and speculation. And there's not much we could do with that. But in a way, you're writing that, well, I don't know. To be honest, I don't like to speculate or assume. So uh, it's kind of like we can guess what they mean by not saying this or that. But who knows? Who knows? I think that, too, there's a lot of pressure from the UFO community because they don't want to disappoint them. But they also can't give them what they want. I hmm. feel they can't give them they want because it doesn't exist. <clears throat> hmm. There's no Roswell hangar. Like Eric Davis says, there's no people who worked on back engineered um, stuff after the 80s uh, or at Area 51. So, yeah. Or they do it to do to keep the mystery alive. Exactly, Mary. A lot of people do it to keep the mystery alive, and they want to placate the people who want to also keep the mystery alive. But is there anything else, Martin? No. I'm we sleepy, wrap? and my battery has 5%. Uh-oh, we better wrap this. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for thank joining you. us. Thank you, Martin. I know this was a thank struggle. You. Uh, luckily, you found a very comfortable place that <laughs> making uh, me sleepy. <laughs> yeah, and you're gonna pass out. Uh, yeah. So, thank you all so very much uh, for joining. Thank you, Martin. Uh, be sure to please, you know, join me live tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific uh, with right here on this YouTube channel to uh, uh, or Facebook, whichever you're watching on to uh, for my interview with Avi Loeb. I'm not even sure how long it'll be. Hopefully, shows, but. You know, he showed for you, so hopefully he'll show for me. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, it's all dressed up, too. Oh, yeah. And I then going forward, uh, you know, we'll be looking at 6 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays, 6 or 7 on uh, Thursdays. Um, that may adjust over time because, of course, I'm in the I may need to change up my hours in a few weeks. But that's generally what we're going to be looking for. But I apologize for the problems that we've had at the beginning. I hope that the sound and everything was okay. I'll go check it out. Um, and uh, we'll work on that. But uh, thank you all so much for joining. And until next time, adios. Adios. Muchachos. Muchachos.